down the street in my 6-4, jocking the freaks, clocking the dough, went to the park to get the scoop, knuckleheads out there, cold shooting some hoops. A car pulls up, who can it be? A fresh El Camino rolling Kilo G. He rolled down his window and he started to say, it's all about making that GTA. Cause the, the boys, boys in the hood, hood are always hard. hard. You come talking in trash, we'll pull your coat. Come on, nobody! Nothing in life but to be the what? This was one of my favorite songs ever. How many 90s kids? Come on, somebody in here, please tell me. Now, one of the things that I love about the 90s was gangster rap. Of course, you probably knew that. I mean, it's probably obvious to you, right? Uh, but that was a 1991 gold. I mean, that was some beautiful music right there. It came from the movie Boys in the Hood, which... I am not advocating watching, but had you happened to have watched it at some point, you would know. It's a good movie. This is a great movie. And at this point in my message, I'm going to have to ask for my notes on the screen. But you guys don't care, right? They care. And look, there they are. That's what I need to know. <laughs> uh, we are in week four of our I Am series. And, and if you remember, all the way back from the very beginning of this series, what we're really trying to do, we're trying to get from these outer circles, if you will, of this kind of like head kind of cursory knowledge of facts about what Jesus did, all the, all the things that he did. We're trying to work our way in towards these inner circles of relationship, like what it actually means to, to know and have a relationship with Jesus. We've been working to move ourselves to the position of simply knowing more things about how to have relationship with him because we know that knowing who Jesus is is what helps us have a relationship with him. And relationship is ultimately what we're after. Uh, the first week of our series, we looked at the story of uh, the Samaritan woman uh, that we know so well or that we looked at the first week and that Jesus, uh, because he is the Savior of the world, he had an appointment with this woman and he went out of his way to purposely walk right through her story and to transform her life and, and her eternity. And the second week, we looked at where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we said it's impossible to have an authentic relationship with anybody from whom we're always trying to get something. See, Jesus has given, and he continues to give so much, yet we constantly ask for more, for more proof of, of who he really is. And we said this, that we don't need to actually, we don't need to get anything from Jesus. Uh, we just need more of Jesus. Now, week three, we looked at where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We said there is no darkness too dark for Jesus to shine a light. We, we also talked about how and if you think you're hiding something from him, you're not hiding anything from him. You can't get too far into the darkness for him to not see what's going on in your life. And last week, last week we looked at where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Where Jesus is saying today in this life, but also eternally speaking, he's leading us towards abundant life. Once a sheep of the shepherd, always a sheep of the shepherd. We also said this, that you can't sin your way out of sheepiness, if you remember that And then today, today we look at where Jesus says this statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life, which of course brings us back to boys in the hood. I mean, you probably wouldn't know this about me, but I was at one point, I was a boy in the hood. I, I was. Uh, in fact, I did some searching this week. I searched through some old shoeboxes. I found a picture of me in, in ice. I mean, I called them ice. You probably call him Mr. Cube or whatever. I found the picture. Check out the picture. I mean, <laughs> me and Ice, we were tight. 
I love that car. Anybody else love that car? I actually got completely sidetracked in my sermon prep this week, watching videos of 64 Impalas up on three wheels and bouncing on the high. Anyway, you probably don't care, but you should check it out. It's really fascinating. Uh, one time I did actually end up in Compton, California, not too long after this movie came out. And so I can't remember all the details of the story. I don't remember exactly where I was coming from or, or what was happening. But I do remember that it was me and my friends in my mom's minivan uh, that we had gotten lost somewhere on the way. We took a wrong freeway, and then we, en we ended up taking a wrong exit, and it was late, and it was dark. And, and eventually we found ourselves a, a van full of private Christian school, high school kids in mom's minivan rolling through the neighborhoods of Compton, California. And I'll tell you this, just to clear the air a little bit. There were no 64 Impalas with sawed-off shotguns sticking out the window, but every turn I made, I was sure I was going to see one. I mean, it was, it was going to happen. And I remember, like, after a while turning in these neighborhoods and from one street to the next, and really, like, the fear started to build up because we knew we weren't supposed to be there. Like, we, we, we didn't know where to go. That eventually I had to get out at a corner gas station and go in and ask for directions. I needed somebody to show me the way out of... Compton, California, so I could get home. I needed to know the way home. And man, I'll tell you, it sucks being lost. Can you even remember what it feels like to be lost, directionally speaking, though? I mean, I'd venture to say that most of these guys down here, they've never experienced being directionally lost. Most of us, if you're my age or older, like, we might remember what it feels like to be lost, but it's been a long time since we've actually been lost because our phones, they'll just tell us where to go. Step one, step two, turn here, turn there. Most of us have it set up. All we have to do is say, hey, Siri, get me home. And anywhere in the world, we can, we can get home. But if you've never been lost or, or if you don't really remember what it feels like to be lost, surely you know that the way to get lost is you, you just say, hey, I, I know there's a way. I know there's a way to get to where I'm going, but what if I went this way? What, what if I tried this street instead? Because surely it would get me home faster and I, I know, I know a better way to get to where we're going, and then eventually you're left not knowing where you are, so you backtrack, but you don't remember which turn you took, and so you take a wrong turn, and, and before you know it, you're having to stop and ask somebody to show you the way. And like I said, you may not remember that directionally speaking, directionally lost, uh, but I bet you felt lost in other areas of your life. I mean, there's something inside of us, there's something that makes you and there's something that makes me want to find our way. We want to find our way to hope and peace and fulfillment and ultimately we want, we want to find our way to purpose. We want to find our way to healthy relationships and community and friendships. We want to find our way home, I think. And it's, and it's possible, it's probably easy for you to remember times in your life that you've tried to find your way home. Uh, you tried to get there by going your own way and, well, you never made it or it didn't work out that well for you. And if true hope and true peace and true purpose and fulfillment is what we're really after, then I believe that home that we're all trying to get to, man, we're all just really trying to find our way to God. And culture and the culture we live in and society nowadays, they say, hey, hey no argument for me, man. Uh, no argument for me. We're all trying to get there. We're just trying to make our own way. And therein lies the, the tension, the tension of what Jesus has to say about himself today, that there is, 
There is a way home. It just has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with him. And so to set up where we're at today, we're in John 14, and we're, we're kind of looking at the fact that we're about 48 hours left in Jesus' life. I mean, John 14, 15, 16, those are kind of steps we take where we get from Jesus. We realize he just doesn't have that much time left. And, and that's where we're sitting in this conversation, what we're going to read about today. And the disciples, you got to know a little bit about the disciples, right? They, they have gone all in on Jesus. I mean, they've pushed everything to the center of the table on Jesus. They've left their families. They've left their homes. They've walked away from their businesses. This, this perfect succession plan they had in place, like, Back then, if your daddy was a carpenter, then you'd be a carpenter. If your daddy was a fisherman, you'd, you'd be a fisherman. You, you already had a plan in place. And I had this thought today, like, their dads must have been ticked too because there goes this 401k plan, right? Like, that's the whole plan for him too. Like, we have kids so they can work the job so I can sit around when I get old. But no, these disciples, they said, you know what? We believe that he is the Messiah. We believe that he is the one that will bring to pass all the promises of the Old Testament. Uh, he's the one that's going to come and overthrow the Roman regime. We believe he's going to come and, and do things that nobody else has ever done. And so we're all in on Jesus. We're banking our lives on this one. And then, and then Jesus starts talking crazy. Jesus all of a sudden starts talking about how he doesn't have much time anymore. He's not going to be around much longer. You guys better get this figured out because pretty soon I'm, I'm going to get out of here. And man, the disciples, they're freaking out. They're wrestling with, with doubt. They're certainly wrestling with confusion. And you've wrestled with doubt and confusion. But you got to understand, all in. I mean, they've walked away from everything. They've walked away from everything. And the guy they thought was the way that they were trying to follow is telling them that he's going to leave. And so you have to assume, I would assume, they were frustrated. They're getting tired of, of not understanding what's going on. And so they're getting frustrated. But thankfully for you and thankfully for me and, and for the disciples, man, Jesus addresses that from the get-go. The first verse we're going to read today, Jesus steps right into that tension and he, and he eases it for them. And we read in John 14, uh, verses 1 through 4, Jesus says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to, there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I mean, do you see the beauty of Jesus' character right there? Like, you've dealt with doubt. I've dealt with doubt. I've been fearful. I've been frustrated. And Jesus, in the midst of it, right, right to his own disciples, we can read it right here. And he would say the same thing to you. Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. He brings compassion right into the situation. I mean, me, <laughs> I would have been frustrated. I mean, Jesus knows that, to be fair to the disciples, they don't necessarily understand yet. But Jesus knows he's 48 hours away from being slaughtered. He's 48 hours away from being beaten, bloody, and murdered on a cross. And the only people that are still with him are freaking out. See, they thought they knew the way. They pushed all in on this way. And, man, it's looking like this, this isn't going to be the way. 
If I were Jesus, I would have been like, hey, hey, remember when I told that storm to stop storming? Do you remember that? How about that time I fed all those people with that little Lunchable? Do you remember that? What about the time I told that Lazarus dude he wasn't allowed to be dead anymore? Do you forget all about all that? What are you freaking out about? I'm the one who's about to be killed. And you're making this all about you. But Jesus, he's better than I am. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get angry with them. He shows compassion on them and he tries to comfort them. He doesn't get angry with you. He doesn't get frustrated with you. And he certainly doesn't get angry with you. He brings compassion to the situation. And then we read on in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Poor Thomas, man. Every time. Every time Thomas shows up in Scripture, he's always left. I don't believe you, Jesus. <laughs> man, that, this, this, it's a shame. Like Thomas, Thomas didn't write his portion. Like he didn't. He didn't tell his side of the story, and all his boys just, man, they are doing him wrong. They are throwing him under the bus constantly. And, he's, and John, he's writing his account, he's, he's writing it, and he's like, me? No, I didn't ever doubt. But Thomas, I mean, that dude didn't understand a thing. And, and truth be told, I, I think I'm a lot more like Thomas. I, I find myself in Thomas's shoes a lot more often than any of the others. And Jesus is saying, hey, you know the way. And everyone else in the room is like, mm-hmm, yes, of course we do. We, we do know the way. Thank you. And Thomas is looking around like everybody's taking crazy pills. He's like, no, we don't. We don't know the way. We don't know what you're talking about. How could we possibly know what you're talking about? You're always talking in riddles. Like, I don't understand this stuff, Jesus. And here's what Thomas is really getting at. Here's what he's really asking. Here's what I would be asking. Where are you taking us? I put everything in on this, Jesus. I, I've pushed it all. I've walked away from everything. And when I don't know the way. Can you get us, can you get us home? And man, Jesus, again, he jumps right in with compassion and he answers this way. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's try and break this down a little bit. There's a, there's a great chasm between you and home. There's a, there's a huge gap between me and you and rest and peace. There's this canyon, if you will, between you and real communion and relationship with God. You felt it. Like you, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you felt something. Like you, you felt the distance between you and something. And no amount of money, no, no better job or a bigger house or more success, nothing can fill that gap. See, this chasm, this, this canyon, this space, this gap, whatever you want to call it, that robs us from being at home with God is sin and death. And Jesus, Jesus is the way across. See, earlier in the passage, he's talking about going to prepare a place for you. 
He's talking to the disciples, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And he's not talking about going all fixer-upper up in heaven and, and tricking out your new house and making it special for you for when you get there. That's not what he's saying. That's not the point. He's saying, I'm going to bridge this chasm of sin and death. So I need to go and prepare a place for you. He's trying to tell his disciples and he's trying to tell you and me, hey, I'm headed to the cross. I'm going to be tortured and brutalized and die on a cross. I'm going to absorb all of God's wrath towards your sin and I'm going to be the bridge. I'm going to be the way across the chasm of sin and death. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make it so that you can be welcomed home. It's not a reference to some pimped out mansion in heaven like, like people read about it all the time. They talk about that God goes to prepare, Jesus goes to prepare a place for us so we have this special mansion up in heaven. It, it's about Jesus bridging the chasm. It's about walking across the chasm of sin and death and being able to be in the place where our soul was created to be. It, it's about getting you home. And Jesus... Jesus is the only way across. But Jesus being the only way is not meant to exclude, but to invite. And so Jesus is the way across. Jesus is also the way to truth. You see, Jesus can be the way to God because Jesus is the truth of God. And what is, what is truth today? I mean, what is truth? Well, truth is the determiner of right and wrong. Truth is how we know good and evil. Truth is how we know sin and righteousness. Unfortunately, in the day that we live in, there's just no tolerance for this kind of language. Who are you to tell me what truth is? Who are you to tell me what right and wrong is? No thanks, I'll find my own way. I'm fine doing it by myself. And what we see Jesus saying is, I am the truth. He's saying that Jesus is the only true measure of righteousness. Unfortunately, so many of us, myself included at times, we, we base our level of righteousness off of somebody else's unrighteousness. Here's how we feel righteous. We, here, God, I'm not Sherry. Sherry's a liar and a gossip. I'm not Sherry. If your name's Sherry, I'm sorry, I just picked the name, really, I did Hey, God, hey, hey, uh, here, I'm, I'm not Dave. Dave cheats on his taxes and drinks too much. I'm not, I'm not him. Here's my righteousness. And that's how we tend to view ourselves as being righteous. And the writers of Scripture, they could not be more clear that God sees that as filthy. Uh, that's what the prophet Isaiah meant when he said all our righteous acts, everything that we do to try and be righteous are like filthy rags to God. Most of us feel righteous, not because of what Jesus did for us, but because we're not somebody else. And I'm telling you, that's evil and it's sinful and it's not going to get you home. The only standard of righteousness we have that is acceptable to God that will allow us the opportunity to be in communion with him at any point is Jesus. But let me tell you why that's such good news. It's good news because of what we talked about last week. That Jesus in his life and in his death and ultimately in his resurrection makes that righteousness available to you. He makes that righteousness available to all. 
all who would turn away from their sin and follow him, which means that the perfection of Jesus is granted to me so that when God looks down upon me, he sees the perfection of Jesus. That's a stunning exchange, an exchange that I do not deserve. I've done nothing to deserve the perfection of Jesus or the communion of God. Jesus is the only way to the truth that will get you home. But Jesus being the only way is never meant to exclude, but to invite. And so Jesus is the way across. Jesus is the way to truth. And Jesus is the way to life. As a, as a follower of Jesus, we're not supposed to say, okay, hey, I, I'm saved. I put my faith in Jesus and then just sit around and wait for heaven. That's not what we've been saved into. If that was God's intention in salvation, then the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we'd be sucked right out of here. If the only goal was you in heaven someday, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you'd be gone. And first off, that would be really freaky. I mean, really freaky. It would really cut down on the number of people who put their faith in Jesus. I can guarantee that. Second, that's not at all what he's after. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit, and now we are to be megaphones of the good news. This good news of the gospel that, hey, there is a way. There is a way home. There is truth, and you can know it, and it's this way. There is peace and fulfillment and life, and it's this way. That's our job. So when he says, I am the life, he's talking about this space between. The space between the someday, the, the then and the now. I mean, clearly in this passage, we, we read that he, he wants and plans to come back and get us. In fact, this is a beautiful picture of the second coming of Christ in just this little passage. That he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back for those who would believe then you and I, we will be home with him forever. And there's plenty of room because he went and prepared a place for us. But in this space between, while you're still here, Jesus says, I am the life today. I'm the life today, not just someday. And this concept, this idea, this is the main thrust of last week's entire message. That following the good shepherd is all about leading you into the deepest fullest, most purposeful life possible today. That's it. I came that you might have life and have it to the full and have that life today. And all the thou's and all the thou shalt nots, every command of God, every directive of Jesus is pointing us that way. It's pointing us to life today. I'll say it like this in case it helps at all. Like, as followers of Jesus... We don't try to abstain from sex until marriage because we're some weirdo, sexually repressed freaks. That's not, that's not why we do it. It's because we know a better way. I mean, who knows how sex is supposed to work than the guy, better than the guy who created it? We know, we know a better way, so we, we work to follow the way. We don't give generously on our, with our finances because we're bought into some crazy cult leader who's getting rich off our money. It's not, why, it's, not why, it's not why we give. We give because we know there's a better way. There's a better way to a more fulfilling life, and it's this way. And following Jesus is the only way to life. But Jesus, Jesus being the only way is not meant to exclude, but to invite. 
So Jesus is the way across. Jesus is the way to truth. Jesus is the way to life. And Jesus is the only way home. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one gets home except through me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, and unfortunately, an increasing number of people who call themselves Christians, you, you might actually be thinking, dude, you're telling me in 2022 you still believe that junk? I mean, really? I, I just can't believe that you would stand on that stage and preach such bigoted, exclusionist thinking. You, you mean to tell me that you believe that half the world's population or more, maybe more, is never going to get home? You, they're never going to find their way to God? Is that, is that what you mean to tell me, Matt? Yeah, I, I, that's, I believe that. Let me try and unpack just one of the reasons why I believe that. See, the world's major religions, all of them really, are built on the antithesis of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. See, at the center of all other major religions is what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And no, I don't think I'm smart because I said those words. I had to look them up to know what they mean. But as I looked them up, I really began to realize that is, what, that is what's taking place in our culture, in our world today. Moralistic therapeutic deism says this, be good enough. Be good enough to be accepted by whatever God it is that you're trying to follow. Here's the list of things to do, and if you do them, God or whatever God will accept you. That's Islam, that's Mormonism, that's Judaism, that's Jehovah Witness, that's a lot of Catholicism, not all of it, but a lot of it. And unfortunately, that's a lot of people who sit in churches just like ours, week in and week out with some new age false Christianity. If you will just do these things, God will let you in. But you better keep doing it or else you're out. See, God's a nice God's a nice God, so you you better be nice too. Be nice enough and that'll that'll get you in. And what that does is that that forces us back into this self-righteous idea of I'm made righteous by what I do. I make my way home to God by my own righteous acts. I'm a nice person and overall I'm pretty good. And I believe that, I believe that most of you are pretty good. Like overall pretty good people, right? Like I I think that you're good people. But, But just to prove that this is a terrible way to try and make it home, to try and make your way to God, let's do a little pop quiz. We'll call this our uh, Ten Commandment pop quiz. Don't pull out your phones. You don't need to know them all. It's not fine. It's just, it's an easy one. Do you at times love things more than you love God? Don't think too hard. The answer is yes. Me too. We do. Are, Are you guilty of taking the name of God lightly? Are you guilty of having a lack of reverence for the God of the universe? And look, I... I know you're not a liar. You just lie a little. You're not a liar, though. And I, you haven't committed adultery, maybe, but your hearts are filled with lust. And, and I'm sure it's pretty easy to assume that most of us haven't murdered anybody in here, but are, we're loaded with anger. You, you at times get frustrated when good things happen to people that you don't think good things should happen to. 
uh, and you get really happy and enjoy when bad things happen to people who deserve it. That's called coveting. I mean, we could keep going, but the point is you make a zero. You make a zero. And this isn't like the school system. where Don't worry, Timmy, you can take it again tomorrow. No, you, know, you fail. And you fail every time. See, the Ten Commandments weren't given to the Israelite people. They weren't given to God's people. So they had this list of things that they could try and do. They were given to God's people so they could know they could never do it. It was supposed to point out the fact that they would never make it on their own. We fail over and over. And since there is no tolerance for anything other than perfection in the presence of God, getting even one of them wrong makes you and it makes me completely unworthy to be home. Listen to me, you're not good enough. You're not good enough and you're never, you're never going to be good enough. So, so the reason Jesus can say that moralistic deism can never get you home is because our hearts can never rest in any righteousness other than a perfect righteousness outside of ourselves. See, we get to rest when Jesus pays our bill and we owe nothing. There is no, there is no other way. Jesus is the only way, but hear me. Jesus being the only way is not meant to exclude anyone, but to invite everyone. See, I believe that as a follower of Jesus, any of us in the room, we have all tried past tense and at times currently try to make our own way in certain areas. Like we try and find our own way all the time. Look, nobody, there's nobody perfect in this room. We're all screwed up. If you were trying to find a perfect church, you might want to go down the street. You might find a better one. Uh, But we're all just trying to to find our way to following Jesus. And yeah, we're going to mess up and we're going to turn and and make the wrong turn and get off. We're we're always trying to follow him. In fact, I had this visual uh, of of a car on the side of the road. I I don't know anything about cars, so I don't know how this happens. But have you ever seen those cars where like one of the wheels is like... Like just completely turn this, like a tie rod maybe. That sounds like something that would break. A tie rod was broken. And so they're off to the side of the road and three wheels are still headed in the right direction. Like most of what they need in the car to get the right direction is still pointing in the right direction. Just one of them's off. And they're never going to make it home. Three wheels point in the right direction. One is off and they're never going to make it home. And so, follower of Jesus, let me ask you this. In what area of life are you currently not following the way? What one area in your life are you, are you choosing to go your own way, knowingly choosing to go your own way? Seriously, in what area of your life are you already thinking, hey, Matt, that was a, that was a decent sermon. I like the boys in the hood stuff. I probably would have done the scripture different, but whatever, it was okay. Yeah, I'm guessing it was all right. Uh, Oh, all about that whole doing my own thing, going my own way. Yeah, I'm going to keep doing that. Peace out. (laughs) Who in this room is already thinking that? That there's a thought in your head because I believe the Holy Spirit is inside of you. I believe he's speaking to you right now. That there's something in your life that you know that you're purposefully choosing to go an opposite direction of what God wants for you. What is it? And my plea for you is to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, whose gracious gift of mercy you've already accepted, meaning you will be home someday. But man, you're wasting every minute until then. 
Like you have the opportunity to experience more of his presence day in and day out right now and you're choosing not to. That God is leading you today towards abundant, full, true, purposeful life. He's not trying to keep you from anything. He's trying to offer you more than you can ever imagine. What's that one area where you're not following him? For those of us who have yet to put our faith in Jesus, if there's even a thought in your mind that there may be a God, then I have to assume on some level you know there's a distance between you and him. You can feel that there's a, there's a space between. You may not know how to put words to it. You may not have ever used the word sin yet. But you can feel like if there is a God, I'm not anywhere near him. And so whatever it is you're trying to use to fill that gap currently, to get home to him, more money, more success, more sex, maybe even more noble thoughts of uh, being a nicer person, serving on the PTA or, or giving more to charities, whatever it is you're using to fill that gap, let me tell you this, more of what you already have that's not getting you home is still not going to get you home. C.S. Lewis has this quote uh, that I think is super helpful for you. It was helpful for me. He says this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. See, I I believe you were made for something other than this world. I believe you were made to experience home both today and forever. And I believe Jesus is the only way. But remember, Jesus being the only way is not meant to exclude anyone, but to invite everyone. Jesus being the only way is not meant to exclude you, but to invite you. And he's inviting you today. And so my question for you is, are you going to follow the way or your way? Would you pray with me? Uh, for those in the room who have yet to put their faith in Jesus, if there was anything stirring in your heart today, if there was anything that you felt like maybe it was time for you to put your faith in Jesus, uh, to, to turn yourself over to him, to, to tell him, hey, I don't got this anymore. I want you to know, like, that is the God of the universe pursuing your heart. There's nothing small about that. And if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, you can just pray a prayer like this with me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I, I know I can't do it on my own. Would you come and be my Savior? And Jesus, I cannot walk this path alone. Would you lead me? so that I can follow you and learn to live more like you. Jesus, we're so grateful for the truth of this passage. We're so grateful for the clarity with which you speak, that in a world where there's so much confusion and question about one way over the other, or, hey, every way is fine, that we can, we can look at your word and we can be confident in knowing that you are the way, that we can push all our chips in on you. So Jesus, would you be with us as we walk out and live this life? Would you shine a light bright so that we know where to follow? Would you speak to us loudly so we know what you're calling us to? We love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.